Hello and welcome to the latest and undoubtedly the happiest episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast so far. I'm Ram Srinivas and with me as always is Mr. Jimmy Funnel. How are you, mate? Absolutely brilliant after yesterday. For, yeah, as you said, first time to be happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you ought to be. And our special guest today is someone who is rather well known in Chelsea social media circles. For all the right reasons, I may add, because if if you followed We and Got No History for at least a couple of years, you would definitely have come across an article written by him. Um, he's written he's written some of my favorites of all time, including uh, the number thirty four, which is about Lewis Baker and his time at Vitas Arnhem. Uh, most recently, he he had words for Football London on Billy Gilmore, another young prospect from Chelsea's academy, and he's a regular on a podcast named Chessy R these days, but today he's here with us. That is Mr. Joe Tweedy. Hello. Hey guys, and uh, I might have to uh, start paying you, Ram, to do all my podcast introductions in the future. <laughs> Thank you very much for the kind words, yeah. Ah, brilliant. So, Joe, what are our thoughts, what are your thoughts on the game just gone by? Oof. Um, I think probably the, the overriding feeling when the game ended was just one of, of pure joy, really. Um, for, for Chelsea fans who have maybe grown up with, with sort of Frank Lampard as a hero and even sort of in, in my age, going back to growing up and watching Jody Morris and, and seeing sort of Joe Edwards' teams in the development uh, sort of phases of football at Chelsea in the academy, to see this sort of, you know, amalgamation of, of people that you've, you've really kind of grown to love over the years of supporting the club secured their first victory and in, in you know not only that but having two sort of homegrown academy products sort of sealing the win as well i think it was the sort of the culmination of a of quite a long journey sort of back to to the club maybe sort of rediscovering its identity and, and rediscovering its roots so although um you know it was a, a tricky game sort of looking back in, in in a slightly more analytical fashion i think there were a lot of interesting things that sort of were happening but purely from a from a fan standpoint the the fact that Abraham sort of was able to to, to score two goals, you know, sort of oh, yes. the club and and Mason Mount obviously continuing his 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 kind of almost revelatory sort of you know introduction into Chelsea's first team. Um, you know, again an, another very very entertaining game. But I think that the main thing really for Lampard and I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest by sort of any measure that Chelsea fans will will get on his back probably ever. Um, you know, <laughs> we're sort of in the Vauxhall Conference in two three years' time. But you know, I think that. <laughs> That certainly the press um, were looking to to kind of get the some of the their kind of early digs into Lampard. There were a few articles, Jonathan Wilson and, and a few others who, who wrote off uh, Lampard almost instantly after the Manchester United game. And it's quite interesting now that we sort of sit here on a on a Sunday evening and we're kind of level with United, level with Tottenham. And you know the narrative is that Chelsea are in crisis and Lampard doesn't know what he's doing. And, and yet you know Pochettino and, and is going to potentially go and challenge for the title. And you know United are, are kind of are where they are. So. Yeah, overall, I think it was um, a really, really interesting game. I, I, for me personally, just the, the result, the manner of the result, the, the, the fact it was the, the academy boys sort of pulling through um, made it sort of extra special for me. Brilliant. I love that. Uh, I, also, I also like how you spoke about Jonathan Wilson's article, which I found was, um, I mean, a little unnecessary. I mean, a little is putting it lightly. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's just so weird how things things can change this quickly at this point in the season and there's really no point in, I mean, writing things like that. But uh, I, I still have to pinch myself. Uh, I had to pinch myself a few times today, thinking back <laughs> at the game, and 
I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I watched uh, Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount score yesterday. It was just the most un- unbelievable feeling in the world. And yeah, I, I just I just woke up today and I was like, geez, I, ne- I need to watch that game back. And I don't remember the last time I felt like that. So, uh, Jimmy, um, I'm, I'm hoping you have uh, you've had a similar experience as well. No, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. No, it, <laughs> it was it was, of course, great. I mean, every Chelsea fan would have rejoiced and being will have been happy for Tammy Abram for, well, obvious reasons, not only for scoring a goal or his first Chelsea goal, but also because of the recent stories, unfortunately, unfolding around him for which, of course, he can. Yeah, good. Not do anything, but he had the right attitude. He kept going, and he had a, two beautiful goals. I mean, they were well uh, taken. I mean, there His are first goal from outside the area. What a time to get it! Uh, yeah. I mean, when was the last time a strike of us actually scored from outside the area? I can't actually good remember. Good question. Uh, I, I'm not talking about preseason, just actual, you know, competitive game. So that that's great. You know, Tammy Abraham, he's got it in his locker. I'm still advocating for Michy Bashwai because I just like him as a player and as a, as a person. But um, that doesn't mean that Tammy Abraham should come short. I mean, for the future, Tammy Abraham and Michy Bashwai should be the ones going forward unless we do decide to um, sell the latter. But generally, from a youth point of view, great. I mean, Mason Mount, I can't stop raving about the lad. It's just ridiculous how many flashes of Lampard he shows every week and one has to also laud him. I'm, I'm terribly sorry if uh, someone already mentioned that, but I just have to laud him again for his playing on the left wing yesterday. I mean, we've had problems this season. Well, it's only been a few games, but because, you know, chose uh, oh, Callum hudson Doy is injured and William has been injured and Kennedy isn't really in the fold. So we've been very you know, restricted in that area, but, he showed that he's definitely an option there and he was fantastic. The way he took his goal. Wow. I, I, I've got to say that is, that was absolutely brilliant. And as I said, shades of Lampard. Composure, mate. Composure. Like, Composure. like I told you. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And what, what I have to add here, uh, just at the, uh, at the end, these two are actually hyping up Reese James for me as well because if this is already working so well, what's going to happen once the uh, you know the tank comes onto the field? <laughs> so that that that's that exciting times, absolutely. Um, what one has to say is from a youth revolution point of view, if we're going to stick with that, what can we actually expect of Reese James? He will be coming back after uh, the international break so we still have the Sheffield game next week uh, which we will be talking about later in later on in the episode but after yesterday's performance and given it was only Norwich uh, don't kill me Ram um, but <laughs> Joe do you think um, Reese James can immediately come into this team and take that place off Cesar Piliqueta even though he was actually quite good yesterday, I think it was no, it was one assist. Yeah, so yeah, one assist. Mm. What do you think, Joe? I think what what we're going to see, and I think what I quite like about this is there's sort of a neat bit of symmetry. When Aspilicueta came into the side, it was kind of at the tail end of of Ashley Cole's career, and 
Aspilicueta came in and there's some sort of nice symmetry there with I think how Aspilicueta will, will maybe transition out of the side. Um, I don't expect it to be to be straight away. Uh, I imagine it's, it can be some sort of settling in period. Obviously, James needs to to get up to get up to speed physically and and also adapt to the sort of the new tactical demands that are going to be placed on him. So I, I kind of see him being sort of phased in over the let's say the next two months or so. But I have a feeling that once he once he solidifies himself in that spot, that I, I think that he will just be incredibly difficult to to dislodge and. You know, I think if you're looking at sort of model comparisons, I think he is probably a, a happy medium between someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold and 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 Aaron Wan-Bissaka at United. You know, he he's uh, he's good defensively. He's he's by no means is he absolutely you know sort of outstanding. He's not uh, maybe as good as as, as Wan-Bissaka sort of one on one defensively. Um, likewise, I think going forward, he's he's also incredibly good. Maybe maybe similar in terms of quality to. Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I think as a as a package as a player, he's one of the very few fullbacks that I've seen come through. And I think maybe Ram will, will can elaborate this. He watched a lot of uh, Jaden Bogle last season at Derby. Um, you know, very rarely do you see a young player who is who is an entirely two-way player. And I think that that as sort of Reece James matures and he gets better defensively, you know, he, his his attacking game is is incredible. We've seen him have the ability to move into central midfield. Um, and, and actually sort of not just, you know, kind of do a job there, but also be one of the better players on the pitch when he's playing there. So he's almost like if David Alaba went to the gym for three summers in a row and sort of came up looking <laughs> like, you know, Michael Essien's uh, sort of love child, then, you know, he, he kind of reminds me of a, a right-footed version of him. And, you know, before anyone gets carried away, I'm not, I'm not saying any when he's anywhere close to being sort of David Alaba's level at the moment. But from a, a sort of stylistic standpoint, he's got that great kind of modern skill set. He can play in midfield. He's got great combination play. But I think the thing that separates him is just his his kind of his end uh, delivery is is usually you know of a, of a really really good standard. Um, plus, you know, he's he's aggressive. He's got that physicality that I think we may lack a little bit in the side. So I think that you know a lot of the uh, the kind of cards are dropping in in, in his favour. Um, and then you know. In, in kind of how I see things, I would see Aspilicueta, you know, maybe sort of coming in for, let's say, the more uh, high-profile games, maybe sort of as the season goes on, but but taking, you know, some of the, the kind of mileage that he's had off his legs. I mean, the amount of football that he's played in the past few years, yeah. you know, people look at his age. He's, is he 29 now, Aspilicueta? 28, 29? He, he's 29, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, he's he's got sort of the, the mileage of someone who's been playing for another four years. It's just non-stop in, in, and in a position that's that's incredibly demanding. You know, he's played centre-back, he's played left-back, he's played right-back, he's played a bit on the wing, he's played a bit in midfield for Mourinho. So, you know, he's a guy that, that invariably plays almost every minute of every game available. So to, to sort of give him the ability, I think, to rest and maybe recuperate a bit, then you'll maybe see a little bit more of an increase in performance level. But I like I like the the move. I think that, that Reese is, for me personally, I think one of the players who was most Premier League ready just from a physical standpoint. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't take you more than uh, five minutes to see that, that he's one of the, probably one of the strongest players physically that we have in the squad. But I think what he adds as well is he adds a, a genuine threat going forward, um, ability to take players on, ability to cross the ball. You know, he's he very rarely, you know, he's not going to lose a 50-50 challenge with, with most people. There are obviously, there are obviously things for him to work on. I think, you know, his one-on-one defending will need to improve a little bit, but he's very aggressive. You know, he's very willing to tackle, but, you know, he's, he does have a little bit of that modern uh, fullback trait where maybe they're not the best going the other way. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, but no, nothing sort of to, in terms of sort of being concerned about. So I, I'm, you know, be, be delighted with him to come back. I think he'll add 
he'll add a lot to the to the squad. I think he'll make that right hand side stronger. Um, and I think actually going forward mm. that over the course of the season he could uh, maybe have a little sneaky claim for for an England call up. You never know. That 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 would be pretty good, especially after Mason Mount apparently might be being called up. I just have to refer back to one thing that you said about um, compa- that comparison to David Alaba. I tend to watch David Alaba quite a lot because here in Austria, we're unfortunately forced to watch Bayern Munich a lot. <laughs> and um, he's, of course, the captain of our national team. Um, he really isn't the player he used to be. He's declined seriously. Yeah. And when I say seriously, I mean seriously. People are still hyping him up. Not that you said that's Joe. I'm just generally have to take a stand because you see on Twitter all the time comparing, oh, we need someone like David Alaba. The thing is, maybe it's one of those cases where he just started out, you know, so well when he was so young that... um, Difficult to maintain that level. Exactly, yeah. And he did have a time where he was phenomenal, undoubtedly, but... He really, he gets overplayed often. He does still, you know, contribute a lot going forward and he's got a great free kick in him, a free kick in him. But defensively, he is, being, he has been shocking in recent times. And for the national team, he doesn't really play at left. But when he does, even there, he was crap. Uh, I'm sorry, forgive my, pardon my French. He really wasn't good. You know, he's, he, I just, uh, he was really not good. And he always wants to play further forward because he's put into his mind that he wants to play there, you know, midfield and all that. But I don't want, I don't want to, you know, get into Bayern Munich things. I just want to say that if Reese James is able to, Reese James is able to um, actually be better than Alaba, that wouldn't be surprising because for me, you know, Reese James has got the potential to be our best academy product since John Terry. I in my in our season preview that we had uh, from Wayne on the history. There was always who will be the shining star of the you know uh, youth players. But a lot of people said, of course, Pulisic because he's still very young. But for me, it's always been Rhys James, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people agree with that. Uh, although there are, of course, big a lot of other contenders there. But I just want to say, I really do hope that he's better than Alaba, or he does become better than Alaba, because that isn't that much of an achievement nowadays. I know that might be underselling it. But you know, maybe too harsh on Alaba, but he really You've got has some been serious bad. beef with David Alaba. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he, he's 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 fudged up so many uh, good games for the Austrian national team, which makes it unbearable to watch him nowadays. And yeah, but that I don't want to say more. That I just wanted to take a stand, use the platform, you know. <laughs> Alaba slander, Vishada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But you know. Not thankfully, not our problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you for listening to We Ain't Got No Alabarans. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just uh, b- before we move on to the next thing, I really like the way uh, Joe spoke about the symmetry because uh, the way as we came in, as Ashley Cole was, uh, you know, need- needed phasing out. Reese James is coming in, and I, I think he's actually the ideal replacement for someone like for someone like Aspe, who was uh, a two-way player because Reese James is just mentally and physically much more ready than a lot of prospects in his position at that yeah. age. You know, I, I watched a lot of Jaden Bogel, as you said, and oh boy, he, he took so much time to get to the yeah, level yeah. that he ended the season at. 
there were there were a lot of blunders and he had to be taken out of the side for a while because i think his confidence was shot for a bit so that was good management by frank but the thing about reese james is he he's, he's just proven to be a massive character he was from from his first game to the last game for wigan where he uh, wore the armband he was just giving 100% all the time and i don't think he had a bad game in in in, in the entirety of last season and i also think his, his versatility is very understated at this level because not only can he play right back he spent a lot of his chelsea youth career playing as a center back as well Ooh. albeit in yeah. a back three mm. and obviously we know he can play in midfield now because he he was in a two man midfield at wigan so there are a number of ways in which he could help our squad and aspelicuera is a very versatile player as well so in in many ways i think there's there's you know there's not a more better suited replacement for aspi Anyway, so, that so, was, sorry, Ram. How yeah, yeah. He, how do, how often did he play it, uh, in midfield? Yeah, for Wigan. Oh, I mean, mm, I think the last ten last ten or fifteen games for sure. Yeah, ten fifteen games. They, yeah. Oh, wow. They oh. needed him for the last the, the run in there. I think their midfield was, yeah. was pretty abject. And then uh, you know, I think the the story goes that the manager just said, "Can you play in midfield?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, sure." And then uh, I think he he got man man of the match in midfield. I think on his first game. Yeah, and then yeah. he just ended the season on a, on an upwards trajectory. And he, obviously, he obviously scored that. Uh, he scored a ridiculous goal as well from midfield. But yeah, oh, yes. just uh, just highlights his his versatility as a player. Yeah, yeah. it's just crazy. Like you, you know, he he went to Wigan and he instantly took their former player of the year out of the team. <laughs> that guy, yeah. that guy had to wait until Rhys James started playing in midfield so that he could get back into the side. Nathan Byrne. Uh, anyway, uh, Penny for his thoughts. So. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Tammy Abraham, Joe. We, mm-hmm. we obviously know he's he is questioned so much by fans, whether they are of um, Chelsea colors or not. Every everyone is just like, oh, he's a championship striker at best, just because he's had you know two really insanely good seasons in the championship. And the, you know, when, whenever you go to a Premier League club that's struggling and eventually gets relegated. you know that that's not probably not the best environment to judge a young player in so i i think abraham has done brilliantly in the last year and his start to his proper career as a chelsea player to bounce back from everything to continue to show his class and finally grab two superb goals yesterday especially the second one which was it was probably one of the best goals i've seen him score so do you, do you think that he is a certain starter now how do you how do you think things are going to play out for him now I think going into the game there was there was an awful lot of pressure on him. I mean obviously I think a lot of people would have seen Batshuayi's uh kind of midweek cameo against Liverpool's under 23 side and I think in that game he saw the best of Batshuayi. He's I still believe in terms of just general improvisational players as center forward he's probably the best that we have as a club in terms of just I mean the the chip that he scored was was fantastic and I think just his ability to create a bit out of nothing kind of uh is something that that maybe we don't necessarily see in in Giroud and and Tammy I think they're they're both fairly similar players in terms of in terms of how they play so I think going into the game the the pressure on on Abraham to perform was was immense I mean we've obviously seen the rather sort of ridiculous and and unsavory sort of remarks that have been made about him on social media which I'm I'm not going to sort of dignify by going into them too much but I mean it's pretty ridiculous and it seems to be becoming a more and more common recurrence uh, sort of as we see 
you know, kind of with every sort of passing match, which is, is a real shame, you know, in terms of social media, but just seems to be one of those things that, that's happening these days. Um, so coming into the game with all that sort of in his, in his mind, probably, you know, probably his best performance in a, in a Chelsea shirt. And I think the thing that, that Tammy needs to grasp is that, that we seem to be at the moment a side who is fairly comfortable creating chances. I mean, I think going into the game or after the game, we, we were one of the leading sides in terms of, chance creation but our conversion rate was was pretty sort of abysmal I think yeah it, going to the game it was like three or four percent which is obviously you know horrific in terms of conversion so I think what what we saw more of him is a I think I think uh a lot stronger when he was receiving the ball I think that, that's been my complaint and maybe again that this is a little bit uh harsh considering you know he's been playing against Van Dijk and, and Harry Maguire who were both you know incredibly physical centre-backs but I think he was a lot better at holding the play up I think his touch was better some of the little balls around the corner were really nice. Some of his general hold-up play was great, but it's the it's the finishing that that was the real real kind of moment of, of quality for me. For and, and that's really what for, for Chelsea need this season. We just need someone to get on the end of chances. I'm, I'm not looking for the next coming of Didier Drogba, the next coming of Diego Costa. We just need someone to get on the end of chances. And I think while the second goal was was an incredible piece of play, it was the it was the run and I think that the finish for the first goal that really impressed me because. You know, anyone who's played football at any decent level knows that you've seen that 99 times out of 100, you know, go over the crossbar from someone completely mishitting it. And, yep. you know, I think it was it was such a fantastic finish on the run. The actual run itself was was incredible. And we, we've heard a lot about him working with Lampard and finishing after training. And, and actually that kind of run into the area, you know, that that could that could have been a Frank Lampard run and finish. It was, you know, the perfect sort of finish into the corner. Um, and then not only that, you know, I think, again, it was the fact that he then went on and scored, obviously, what was to be the winning goal. You know, that, again, is a is a huge thing for, for, for me personally when I evaluate strikers. You know, it's all well and good playing in exceptional teams and scoring, like, the third and fourth goals in, like, three and four wins. That's, that's all well and good. But, you know, one of the reasons I love Diego Costa was, like, that season that, that he was exceptional, we won the league. I think he, he might have had 20 league goals, but they were worth, like, 15 points, which was unheard of. You know, he was such a clutch player and came up in big moments and scored big goals, either the... You know the opening goal in a game, or the or the, the game to get a point, or the game to win the game, or the sorry the goal to win a game. And I think that uh, you know that's really that that should be the takeaway for for Abraham. Is he is he the sort of de facto starter going forward? I, I think he'll carry on playing. I think at the moment that the way that the kind of for me there's no real clear cut person to to start games. I think you've just got to ride the hot hand somewhat. Um, if if Abraham is able to put you know a lot of negativity behind him that's coming his way and deal with a lot of that stuff and then go and have that sort of performance. You know, I think that from a mental standpoint is incredibly impressive. And, and I would, you know, most certainly keep trying to play him and seeing if, if this is something that, that can be repeated. And, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm sort of with Jimmy and I still think that there will be a time and place for, for Batshuayi to come into the side and, and show what he can do. I still think he's the best finisher that we've got at the club, but I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing that we, now we have three centre forwards who seemingly now have their kind of use, you know, sort of in the side. I think I still see Giroud maybe being the experienced guy who leads the line against someone maybe the better sides, but also he can come on for the last 15, 20 minutes, hold the ball up, almost like a like a relief pitcher in baseball or like a closer, you know, coming in and sort of seeing out the game. And then you've got maybe Batshuayi and Abraham fighting for the for the guy up front. Um, and I also don't think we've had that kind of that kind of speed up front in a while, which is also quite interesting to me because, you know, I think that sort of long stride that Abraham's got, particularly obviously the, the kind of run that he made for the second goal. Um, you know, 
if, if teams sort of fear that, that, that sort of going forward, it means, you know, generally you'll see a defensive line drop, you know, it creating a little bit more space for us in midfield. So, you know, the, the threat of him going in behind is, is also uh, an interesting one to see how that pans out. But, you know, I think, I'm not sure whether he's a certain starter for me, but I definitely think that he's he's earned a start in the next game. But, you know, what I want to see is is pressure from the other centre-forwards here to kind of compete for that role, because it's not like in seasons gone by where we've had a, you know, Costa is the number one guy or Dropper's the number one guy and then someone else plays with him or someone rotates in. You know, I want to see that competition driving us forward because realistically this season, I mean, this is a fairly simple point to make, but I think for Chelsea... You know, the fact that we don't have that out-and-out goal scorer, that out-and-out person is going to score goals, it's really just going to be our ability to take advantage of these patches that we have in games where we're dominant. Thinking back to the beginning uh, beginning 15, 20 minutes against Manchester United, where we could have been one or two up. Same against Leicester City, we could have been out of sight but before half-time. If we can capitalise on those on those moments, and you know, pushing for, for a fourth-place finish isn't completely out of the realms of possibility because mm. I don't think the teams around us are that much better than us particularly once we get the full complement of players back. So not for me, not an absolute certain starter, but he definitely, definitely starts the next game. And it is worth noting, in regard to your last point, Tottenham did lose today against Newcastle. Exactly, we are yeah. recording you know, after it's, that. It's not so cut and dry. I think, I think people have, have written us off very quickly because we've not been able to sign players. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the Premier League is incredibly competitive. We're seeing teams get beat who you wouldn't normally you know, expect to get beat. City and Liverpool are, are miles clear of everyone at the moment. I think that those... That uh, third and fourth space is, is definitely up for um, contention. And as I said, you know, when we start getting some of these players return, you know, it's, 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 it is a bit of a lottery, you know, but I think you've got to be a little bit more positive about things. Mm. Of course, one has to uh, mention it works both ways. So <laughs> they, course, yeah. we, we will have against, you know, like, never know, Sheffield United might beat us. We'll see. But before we get into <laughs> the next topic, um, we're going to just take a short break. Okay, and we are back. So, before we get into our next topic, which will be our defence gulp, um, I just wanted to say one last thing um, regard to Tammy Abraham. I think we've seen a lot of, you know, striking projects at our beloved club over the years not work, unfortunately, but a goal has often been needed to quick start these kind of things in the past, you know. Diego Costa, he was able to do it immediately. Morata, you know, before he got injured in November, he was actually really good and he was scoring for fun every game nearly. And he was able to do that because he started scoring early. If Tammy Abraham, I'm not comparing Tammy Abraham to, uh, to uh, Alvaro Morata, of course, but um, because Tammy Abraham's already shown that he's got much more of a strong mentality than than Alvaro. But my point is, this could be his chance to show how strong he is. And I'm not asking for him to get into the faces of other players like Diego Costa did or always score in finals like Drogba did. But if he's able to score consistently every other game and, as you said, Joe, score these clutch goals like the winning goal against Norwich, that is brilliant, and he will be able to already stake a claim for the next season, which will be the real season where we can um, define was Lampard or is Lampard's reign a success? How has he been doing? Because this one is more transition. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see, but Tammy Abram is doing well to really, you know, make this position his own. And I'm 
absolutely down with Lampard saying, OK, I trust you. I'm going to play you again, even though fans uh, would like to, of course, see others. Because just to refer to the fans' choices, because we always have this, this uh, poll going, uh, which, you know, I think were like 1,500 votes or something. And it was really split into thirds you know there was about 35 percent wanting Giroud there were 35 percent wanting uh Abraham and 35 percent wanting Bashwai and I've been doing this for a while now I've never seen it being so split among three players so you know there's never been a better chance than now for Tammy Abraham to really make that position his going to the opposite side of the field it has to be unfortunately addressed is our defence. Now, I know we won against Norwich, but uh, there are problems there. Um, <laughs> so, what can Alampa do? That's why I've been asking myself, and I'm sure a lot of people have been as well. Um, I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> Antonio Rudiger is rated highly by a lot of people. Can he be the messiah? I mean, Reese James, we've talked about him, what he can bring um, to the defence. But what about Rudiger? I mean, what can Lampard do? Has anyone got answers to this? I mean, Joe. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, I I think one of the points that I'll make is is not going to uh, be particularly well received by certain parts of of Chelsea football Twitter. and it kind of starts with, I think one of my favourite football quotations is from a, a manager called Pam Marlillo, who was a, a really big influence on Pep Guardiola and, and his sort of thoughts about how football should be played. And he said, uh, show me who your holding midfielder is and I'll tell you what kind of team you've got. Mm-hmm. And uh, that maybe sets up sort of some of the points that I'm going to make about uh, Chelsea's Chelsea's current number uh, current number five, Jorginho. And I want to get out of the way because I think people sort of mistake my disdain for him as a holding player with him as a footballer. And I genuinely think that he's a he's a he's a pretty decent footballer in terms of his skill set. You know, he's he's good on the ball, he's calm, he's a good leader. I think it's it's becoming very clear that he's a, he's an excellent professional, trains incredibly well, and that he has some useful skills. My sort of contention comes with his use as a as a holding player in the Premier League specifically. And particularly at Chelsea in the current version of this sort of Chelsea side that we've got. I think if he was to be dropped into a Barcelona or maybe even even City's current setup, that you'd see uh, a lot less of of some of these sort of weaknesses in defence. And for me, the the biggest issue that we've had, and I think this is is partly linked to Jorginho being kind of the the sort of default holding player that we have, is that the space in front of the back four is, is absolutely enormous. And this is in transitions. This can be at any sort of point during the game. I mean... I found it very interesting last year that City worked specifically on knowing that Jorginho kind of left his position to kind of press from the middle of the pitch and they were literally working in training on little combinations to play around uh, Jorginho because they know that that movement's coming, that he's going to sort of abdicate, abdicate the sort of central area that he's from. And you know, for all these wonderful sort of ancillary skills that he has, you know, I think he's, he's great at playing this sort of little triangles and this sort of neat and tidy ball in midfield. I think that's one of his strengths. But, you know, for... For me, I think the, the biggest responsibility, and I don't care if you want to call him a regista or you want to give him some fancy football kind of you know terminology to describe his position, his first and foremost job as that holding player at the base of the midfield is, is to provide protection to the back four and to, to ensure that that space is well marshaled, to ensure that the other players are sort of compensating and being dragged across and sort of dictating that entire part of the game. And 
you know, there's there's only a handful of defenders I can remember in the past sort of few years that have been able to defend without having a, a really sort of well-structured kind of holding player in front of them. And it's maybe Sergio Ramos potentially, and maybe there's there's two or three others that can really defend without zero protection whatsoever. And, and looking at Andreas Christensen and also looking at Kurt Zuma, that, that certainly isn't the case. And I think that his, you know, his lack of positional awareness, I, I think particularly, you know, if you look on the first goal, I think he was at sea. I don't think he traps runners particularly well. He, he doesn't manage cutbacks, you know. And I think unlike players that we've seen in the past who maybe weren't, let's say, the best athletes, and I'm looking particularly at John Obi Mikel, he doesn't have Mikel's strength. He doesn't have Mikel's kind of general ability to, to hold up play in transition. And I think this is probably, for me, the most irritating thing is that if you're on a count, if, if someone is counting on you, you know, you don't always have to make the challenge. You don't always have to make the tackle. It's a question of buying yourselves you know, two to three seconds to let others feel back into positions. And that, that for me, is, is the thing that I, I never or rarely see him see him able to do, is just to hold up play somewhat. And I sort of saw some very interesting uh, conversations on, on Twitter today, particularly about Jorginho and putting him in this bracket of, of Fabregas and Perlo and Busquets and Xabi Alonso. And I thought, you know, just for this for the sake of this podcast, I'd go and grab a few numbers. So, you know, people were, for me, uh, saying, oh, you know, Jorginho is a deep-blown playmaker, that's his job. If we're comparing, let's compare him to someone like Perlo, who kind of, I'll take the caveat, different leagues, etc. But I think stylistically, they're very similar. And some of the numbers I've looked at were also in, in, in Napoli as well. And if we're looking at sort of key pass metrics, I'm, I'm doing sort of very basic stats here, but Jorginho is absolute best. He plays about 1.9 key passes a game. Perlo's was 3.4. Perlo's worst in his career was actually Jorginho's best at 1.9. Um, Perlo also played over 10 long passes a game. I think Jorginho's best is uh, is about 3.8 per game. So, you know, this this kind of idea that he's, you know, his passing range and passing ability is, is worth persevering with despite defensive um, kind of shortcomings to me is a little bit misleading. And then the other guy I looked at was, was Sergio Busquets, who I think, again, is someone who's not uh, not known for being a wonderful athlete, but but maybe I think he's is one of the players that you would look at as sort of an example of, of real kind of mastery of that holding role in modern football. And again, if we're looking at just some really, really, really super basic numbers, I think in, in Jorginho's career, maybe his best season in terms of tackles and interceptions was just under five a game. So 4.8 was the number. Um, Busquets' worst ever season for Barcelona was five and a half and his best was closing in on seven. So again, you're talking about him playing in possession-based teams, particularly the numbers from Napoli. So, so when people are sort of making this equation that he is this sort of, I mean, I've, I've seen the term world class used used with him a lot from a lot of different people, and I'm looking at Perlo's passing, I'm looking at Busquets, he's kind of defensive now. I don't think he really gets anywhere near them, and, and this is not just numbers at Chelsea, this is numbers at Napoli. There's there's not been a season really in some cases where his best numbers are as good as their worst. And yes, you know, we, you know, this is a very very simplistic way of looking at stats and. I'm looking at Ram here because some of the stuff he does is insane. But I've just it's really just for me, just to illustrate that that some of the the, the way that people look at him for me is a little bit peculiar. Um, and again, it's not just his, it's not just him that that's that's you know at fault here. You know, when we when we press, if if our press is beaten, you know, Kovacic equally seems to struggle sort of getting backwards, and you know that kind of gap almost between that that first pressing wave and and sort of the the supporting players is also huge. But for me, it fundamentally starts with how that back four is protected. And I think the way that maybe I view football and the way that I was brought up to play football and, and the way that I certainly was, was coaching football was more looking at sort of back to front rather than front to back. And I think that, that particularly 
in, in that space, that, that seems to be where teams are hurting us. I mean, you only have to look at James Madison second half against Leicester. I mean, he literally, all he did was, was stand 10 metres further in field. So if you, if you, it's almost if you play with two number 10s in Chelsea now, just behind Jorginho, then you, you completely run the game. You know, and he, he was drifting in from the left towards the end of the first half, and that's when they started getting some joy. So it seems to me a little bit too simplistic to get in behind Chelsea. And, and that, to me, is, is, is fundamentally the thing that needs to be addressed is, is this space. I mean, personally, I'd like to see Jorginho pushed up. I'd even go a little bit further, and this could be in somewhat extreme, but playing with someone like Andreas Christensen in holding midfield where he's played for Denmark when Rudiger comes back to be fit just to give a bit of defensive solidity. Because I don't think sort of creating uh, chances and, and actually sort of, you know, engineering sort of goal-scoring opportunities is a big problem. And I don't think really that Jorginho is it's a massively intrinsic part of that. I'd rather maybe use his pressing a bit higher up the pitch where he's obviously, I think he's very good at pressing, very good at sort of being aggressive and, and making opponents make decisions and make uncomfortable decisions. But as a Premier League number six, as a Premier League holding player, I don't think that his, his lack of athletic ability and I'm not sort of going down the whole pace and power route here, but I do feel that even, even City had a Fernandinho, you know, Liverpool have a Fabinho. They have players who are athletic, who can get about the park, can get left to right. It's, it's not some sort of, you know, kind of Brexit FC football opinion that you need somebody who's got a bit of athleticism midfield. But, yeah. but the fact that he, for me, I don't think he's, he's that exceptional at the other things that he does to, to really kind of excuse the fact that, that for me, the primary, the primary function of that player, and I, I don't care if you're a deep line playmaker or you're, or you're just a box standard holding player is, is to screen that back four because until we do and we have someone in there who can really sort of help out the centre backs, it doesn't matter if we've got Virgil van Dijk there with, you know, name your other fantastic centre back in the world. If, if there's no protection, they're going to be exposed every single game. So, you know, a little bit of a, not quite a rant, but it's, I, I've, I've, I've often like wanted to just express some of the reasons why I'm not the biggest Jorginho fan in that position. And I'll keep stressing in that position. Because I think sometimes, particularly on Twitter, people seem to think I just don't like him as a footballer, which isn't really the case. It's more that in that position, particularly at Chelsea, we're not in, you know, this isn't the best Chelsea side we've ever seen. It's not the most technically gifted, doesn't have the most, like, the sort of best supporting cast of players. And, you know, for a player that cost, what was it, £58 million, he was at the time the most expensive holding player ever in world football. I would expect a little bit more out of someone and maybe him increase the ability or make other players around him better and not necessarily rely entirely on a team setup, a bit more compact, a bit deeper to make him feel comfortable. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, you know, I've got some other notes here, but there's Zuma again. I think Zuma, we, we kind of see the difference between him at Chelsea and him at Everton. Um, Everton, a lot more compact, um, a slightly more protected setup, you know, the, the way that they play, uh, their holding player, I think he's a, a little bit more Premier League suited than than Chelsea. Obviously, a lot more limited technically, but 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 definitely does the the sort of job that they're after a bit more uh, to the sort of Premier League standard. But I think Zuma is is maybe struggling a little bit to adapt to playing in a slightly more expansive style, and I think that was probably why um, he wasn't looked at under Sari. And it's it's not a huge issue at the moment, um, but I think that the the more that the team get comfortable playing, I think the more that we're going to see uh, Zuma be exposed if that sort of area in front of him isn't closed off and. I think Azpilicueta is the other one that I think at the moment, I, I'm not going to go as far as some people saying that he's been at fault for nearly every goal that we've scored, but I mean, he he's making some some questionable decisions, particularly when it comes to playing players onside and offside and just some of his, his decision-making now. It's almost like in his head mentally, he knows that he maybe doesn't have the legs that he had two, three seasons ago and where you would traditionally expect him to go and close someone down and make a tackle or make a challenge. 
you know, he's 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 renowned for being a a very good one-on-one defender. That seems to be something that he's almost kind of gone into himself with and thought, actually, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to get skinned here or, or I can't get him and make the tackle. Um, I think Emerson's been been impressive so far. Um, I think that, that, that actually almost to the point that it's a little bit surprising. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, <laughs> Got to start yeah, continuing yeah, the Emerson propaganda. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because when Chelsea bought him, it was one of those sort of punts that we've done in the past. And I don't think necessarily that they've always panned out. But now that he seems to be completely over the injuries and, and maybe actually playing more as a traditional fullback is, is benefiting him. But I think he's been, he's been one of the standout players. And I think Christensen, and maybe this is living in Copenhagen, so I have a little bit of a Danish bias. But I think he's, he's been you know, pretty, pretty decent compared to sort of last season where it looked like maybe for me he might be the... The fourth choice coming into the season, I think he's actually been been better than uh, advertised. And again, another player that I think you know, if you improve the protection in front of him, oh. I think he'll be a bit better. But I will uh, I'll stop talking because I've almost done a twenty minute rant on Jorginho. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's just highlighting that I think that you know you can you can talk about the back four and I, I you know it's it's not the best back four that we've ever seen at Chelsea. I think it can improve when Reece James comes in, for example. Will it improve with Rudiger's experience? But until you sort out that that kind of absolute chasm of space in front of them, which is on counters and also just generally when players get pulled out of position too easily. Until we figure that that out and, and that kind of space, then I think we're going to continue to see these sort of basketball-esque games that we've been a part of this season. Yeah. Yeah, I found it pretty interesting that you mentioned uh, Christensen perhaps being used as an aux- auxiliary holding midfielder. It reminded me of the time... Uh, Jose Mourinho used Kurt Zuma yeah. as a defensive yeah. midfielder yeah. against Manchester United, yeah. I think against PSG in the Champions League. Well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, those were interesting points on Jorginho, and that's actually my exact opinion on him as well. I think that he was he was meant to be more of a uh, you know someone who rotates possession and works the ball into space in that midfield transition yeah. phase for a team that is dominant it's very important to remember and that is not the case when you're at Chelsea in the Premier League in the current state so I I don't know how it would have worked out for him even if Man City had got him for example because he's not he's not he's not the best at um you know um play playing in front of the defense and shielding shielding that area basically so I also think that Giorgini would be much better served in a box-to-box role or something where he can press and uh, the brunt of the defensive responsibility isn't on him. That's right, yeah. And he's also picked up three yellow cards in three games. I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's primarily positional. It's primarily because he, you know, he knows if he lets the guy go, then, then it, it's, it's a serious problem. But to, to have, you know, three and three to, is, is an alarm bell that, that certainly goes off in my head. You know, if, if you're an intelligent holding player, then you shouldn't be consistently not, not in the correct position if we lose the ball, you know, in, in, in general. I, I think, again, that's just... Something that, that, that I'm mindful of is that, you know, you, you don't see, you know, world-class elite holding players pick up three bookings in, in three games, generally kind of a rule of thumb. So that's also something that I, I'm keeping an eye on at the moment is just where he is and, and, and sort of what the, the situation is when he picks up these bookings. Because I think if he does go out of the team, then we don't really have that many options to, to fill, the, uh, fill the, the space, even with a player of a similar type. I don't think we've got one really covert, maybe against lesser teams, and then the only other option would obviously would have been Ampadu, who's out on loan. Yeah. Um, and, and then it, it's something a little bit outside the box, which is, you know, Christensen's done a, done a bit of, de- you know, played a bit of defensive midfield for Denmark. He's generally looked pretty good there, generally quite good on the ball. 
you know, maybe it's him there and Rudiger drops back into centre back. But it's it's one of the things that Lampard's going to have to figure out because I think that the uh, the transition area in particular, and I, I noted this when I watched Derby, but also from from reading one of Ram's uh, you know really really fantastic articles on it was that that Derby in general were a little bit team that were quite susceptible to counter attack. So you know, it's it's something that I think that they need to work on, particularly given the fact that so many Premier League sides now have got so much pace throughout the team that. You know, it's it's not just a question of, of losing the ball and then hoping that they don't do something with it. It's it, it's a real threat now whenever you give away the ball, particularly in, in dangerous areas. Yeah, good point. Really good point. So we have we've just gone over um, the crux of I think Chelsea's issues that have been brought to the fore so far. I mean, it was pretty uh, it was pretty embarrassing seeing the way uh, Emiliano Buendia just did him for the goal. Um, but yeah. That's as far as our probably biggest issue goes right now, because I think the rest will be alleviated with Rudiger's introduction pretty soon. So that's that. And we, what we want to do next is something that we are doing for the first time on this podcast, which is we asked the users for their questions. We said we're going to have you on the podcast, and we asked them for you know, just just things that, that they might want to ask you, perhaps <laughs> related to your uh, previous works on VN Gartner History or elsewhere, or just questions on Chelsea in general. So sure. We shall just bring them to you r- right after this short break. Okay, and we are back. So let's start off this first time ever Q&A that we will be continuing in the future. Um, I'm going to start with a question which... Is a good introduction. Uh, I mean, this is from Matto's Gone. Uh, there's the username who's sadly. asked you. Yeah, yeah sadly, yeah. <laughs> who's uh, asked Joe, why have your article stopped and where and got no history? Does he want the politically correct reason? Or does he want the actual <laughs> reason? Um, I think when I when I first started writing there, the let's say the the setup with SB Nation was a little bit different. Um, and I, I think they changed it a little while back and um, generally people pay me to write for them and let's say that maybe changed in terms of the arrangement and I just felt it was it was easy for me to, to maybe not have to rush and produce articles and, and content sort of you know uh, periodically throughout the month and, and just focus on kind of writing pieces that, that I enjoy and that I have the time to to research and reach out to sort of various people within football and, and, and sort of take a bit more of a a reasonable uh, uh, take on certain things. So it, it, it kind of was a little bit, I think my writing style evolved into maybe doing more long form pieces. They're kind of the pieces that I enjoy writing uh, more kind of in-depth stuff. Um, I, I don't think that necessarily fit with the the new uh, MO that, that the guys uh, at SB Nation had. And this was sort of over maybe two, two or two, so yeah, probably about two years ago. So um, yeah, um, so they were into looking at least when they were talking to me for more kind of snappy, um, weekly or bi-weekly type pieces and, and that, that A, doesn't fit with my schedule in terms of my actual work but also uh, not really with, with how I uh, enjoy writing. Yeah, no, that's perfectly So our, our next question is by Asman and he asks, do you think mm-hmm. Louis Baker will come back to England? We know he's in uh, Germany with Fortuna Dusseldorf right now and Gordon. I mean, I think with with all the will in the world, and, and this is having the you know the the real kind of joy of being able to spend some time with him out in Holland. 
I think maybe that this this was the summer that was probably make or break for him at Chelsea. I think that that he's another one who maybe um, has all, all of kind of the technical prowess that you would want in a footballer, but maybe if you're looking at a a Premier League central midfielder, lacks some of the the, the physicality or the athleticism maybe um, to sort of play. Uh, it's maybe at, at Chelsea's level. Um, I think that he will probably settle down and play a pretty good, decent level of European football. I think Germany will suit him. Um, I mean, apart from the last game, I think that he's he's actually made a pretty good impression in, in Fortuna, um, you know, in, in terms of his, his first what, two, or two, or two or so games, I think that they've been out there. Yeah, so yeah, 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 three yeah. games. Yeah, so I think that the first two were decent. The last one was a little bit hit and miss, but... I think that if if you know if I'm being realistic, I think maybe that this was the this was maybe the deal of die season for him, and you know it would have taken a a really impressive preseason, I think, for him to him to remain, and and maybe the signing of of Kovacic probably was you know I mean not I would say that there was a real reasonable chance that even if Kovacic wasn't here that he'd have stayed, but I think that the the Kovacic signing was was kind of like the final nail in the coffin, so. I mean, my, my hopes are that, that he goes and, and finds a, a place to settle, um, somewhere that, that allows him to showcase his, his obvious talents. I mean, you know, I think he will be a player that throughout his career maybe needs a, a partner to do some of his dirty work. He certainly had that in Vitesse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's something that, that maybe, you know, when you look at some, some really top-class midfielders, histor- historically someone like Fabregas maybe needed a, some legs around him, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's things that maybe happen to players that have got incredible technique, but I'm hopeful that, that he finds his feet in Germany and, and potentially after this loan, maybe goes to a, a slightly more um, Europa League level, maybe sort of pushing for Champions League level club out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally he's, you know, he and, and his agents and his, his dad who I've met and his sort of representation uh, are all really, really top class guys. So I, I kind of really hope that he, he now kind of finds the the sort of stability that I think that young players need and that they don't often get at Chelsea. They kind of get moved around a little bit too much for my liking. Um, so find the stability and then hopefully he can kick on and, and have a have a decent career because, you know, for the past couple of seasons, he's some of the loan destinations he's had have been very, very sketchy in terms of the selections of teams, given the sort of managers that have been there and the, the style of football. You know, you're not going to send them to a team where... You know, they want two combative kind of central midfielders, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that seemed to be a bit Chelsea were just trying to get him out the door and get get some wages off of the uh you know for the, the balance sheet. But I'm yeah. hoping now that this loan seems to be one that I think he can excel in. And uh yeah, the 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 kind of the the, the, the real end goal for him, I suppose, is, is stability. Now find a club where he can maybe get a permanent deal and, and then obviously try and sort of build up his uh, his profile that way. Well, I mean, we can only hope that that's the case in Dusseldorf. Uh, Fortuna hasn't really got a good squad, I have to say. No. <laughs> and that that defend uh, that other midfielder, that the legs, he doesn't really have that. Um, but you know, maybe it will work otherwise. They haven't had the worst start. Um, but coming to the next question, uh, this is a question from Jevon, if I pronounce this correctly. Um, he is referring to your Room Lofts Cheek article quite a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> where you foresaw that he will become a, a firm part of this squad, which he has, uh, despite being injured. Now, he's curious to know if you think that there's any one of the lesser known talents that could be exactly the same story and not Mount, Tammy, or Joe, you know, the obvious yeah. choices, but like someone more um, in obscurity at the moment so 
I think for, for those people who are listening who have a, a general interest in academy football, then, I mean, the next couple of years at Chelsea, I think are going to be a pretty exciting watch. Um, I have the, the fortune of being able to talk to some people at the club within the academy and, and some particularly some agents who have these players on their books, particularly over the summer. And seeing this, uh, let's say, group of under-16s, under-17s, and some guys in the under-18s potentially being part of the, the FA Youth Cup, this, uh, you know, is, is being kind of sold to me and, and certainly being backed up with things that I've seen, but uh, kind of another sort of golden generation of, of Chelsea talents. Now, people would have started to see the name Tino Andrian appear uh, for the under-23s um, in, in midweek. He scored a fantastic goal. Um, I think he also got, I mean, it, it technically was an assist, but I mean, it was one of those where he kind of passed it and someone else did all the work. But, you know, yeah. Opta's going to Opta. Um <laughs> But he is, I mean, it's a lazy comparison to make to Loftus-Cheek because he's tall, he's athletic, he's physical, but he he does have a, a very similar kind of running gait and style. And I think he is someone who probably will be the FA Youth Cup captain this season. And and potentially, if, if his trajectory continues, particularly with Lampard at the club now, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a cameo debut towards the end of the season. Because I think that he's both physically ready in terms of kind of the same way that Ruben was at sort of a very young age, but also just the position that he plays. And he's got that kind of lovely balanced ability to play in midfield. You know, I've seen him play as, as a holding player. I've seen him play as a number eight, as a number 10. You know, he's just got that that sort of wonderful development that, that a lot of Chelsea youngsters have, you know, this this ability to just rotate them through the positions and get them game time in, in every kind of possible position that they'll eventually play makes them generally very, very balanced footballers by the time they sort of get 17, 18. I think he's one that stands out in a slightly younger age group. Um, people will know that I'm obsessed with uh, footballers that have got double-barreled surnames. So, I know what's coming, I know what's coming. Yeah, Ram will know this, but there, there's a young lad in the, in the under-17s at the moment called Miles Park-Harris, who yeah. I probably haven't been as excited about a Chelsea player probably since Ruben, since when I saw him. Um He's not quite as tall as, as, as Ruben was at the same age, but he's kind of struck down. So he's kind of incredibly stocky. He's got a little bit of Michael Essien's build oh, about him. Very, very, yeah, very, very physical player. But another one of these, these kids who's coming through has got wonderful technique, super, super aggressive in the tackle. You know, you could see him almost for me. I mean, again, I make comparisons with senior players, not to say that, you know, this is kind of where he's going to be, but just so people get a gauge of the style. He reminds me a lot of Arturo Vidal. That, that sort of kind of all-action midfielder, great range of passing, eye for a goal, nice footwork, nice balance. And again, you know, if you ask people who know him, um, people who, who watch a lot of youth football, there are, there's an obvious, la- very lazy comparison to make to, to Loftus-Cheek as well. So it's almost like we've got this factory of Loftus-Cheeks coming through. Yeah. Um, which, considering he's, he's, you know, he's one of my favourite players, I mean, I don't necessarily see that as a, as a bad thing, but... That will be very, very interesting to see them potentially playing the same midfield in the Youth Cup campaign. And the last one, and this is a little bit of a different flavour. Um, there's a, a youngster, I think he's just moved into the 17s, called Lewis Bate. He, oh, no, he, he, scored, he scored yesterday. Yeah, he scored yesterday. Yeah, he is potentially dynamite. This is, if Jorginho could run and kick people and win tackles, this possibly could be what this, this kid could be when he sort of gets into the... A little bit more into, a, let's say, a, a fixed position. But I mean, I've I've seen him mostly play as a as a six or as kind of an eight. Um, seen him play for England. I've seen him play for Chelsea's academy, and he's kind of he's just such a great great player to watch. Really, really nice technique, great passer. But what he has, which I think a lot of young players don't have, is 
he's got this really kind of innate sense of where to be. And, and I know it's such a kind of simple concept to say, but you know, for 17-year-olds to generally be in the right place when we lose the ball, to receive the ball, to to make tackles, to make interceptions, it's 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 really interesting to see someone have that at such a young age. So for for the next couple of years, or it's you know, I think that there's gonna be a really interesting set of players, particularly when the FA Youth Cup and, and all the publicity comes around the youth team. Um so those those guys I'd say probably for me are the standouts. And then obviously you've got a couple of the Dutch lads. Um Ian Matson, I think he's gonna be a very good player. Um I think he has all the potential in the world. And you know, I think the the testament to Lampard coming back into the club is is the fact that Juan Castillo actually signed a, a contract last minute at the club to sort of stay. And he would have been, for me, a very uh, disappointing player to lose because, again, he he could either be a, an incredibly modern fullback, he can be a very sort of industrious and, and, and tricky winger, he can play left midfield, probably, you know, I, I probably could play centre mid if he, if he really wanted to. I know Matson's played there for for, for Holland in the, uh, in the Euros. So, you know, we've got a couple of Dutch lads who are very, very good, very talented, very left-footed. Um, but the, the, there's a core of sort of young English players coming through that they're almost kind of out of, you might as well say, out of kind of a Loftus-Cheek factory. Andrian and, and, and Miles Pot-Harris, I think, will be a very, very exciting combination of players to watch over the next few years. But, you know, th- th- these, are, these are a handful. I, d- I don't want to say too much about the rest of the other players in the team, but, you know, I think there was a, there was a game Chelsea's under-16s played Arsenal last season, and there were, I think, about 20 youth internationals on the pitch all at the same time. And the Chelsea, and, and, and bear in mind that a lot of people in Arsenal think that this is a generation of their players that's going to be kind of world beaters and that this is sort of their next generation of exceptional talent. I think Chelsea either won it 3 or 4-1 or something like that. And it was it was such a complete and utter dominant performance given how how equal the teams were supposed to be on paper. So I, I have a lot of high hopes for this uh, this group coming through. And I think for people that like watching academy football like me, like uh, enjoying the, the process of seeing guys come through, that this group is is certainly one to get excited about. Yeah, absolutely. I know that I know the Chelsea youth is someone that really rates that age group as well. Yeah. Uh, he's spoken about it in the past and I think I think I've correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen uh, I've seen you guys discussing on Twitter uh, having an ideal midfield trio of uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Tino Anger and, and uh, Miles Pertaris, yes. <laughs> which would which would be pretty cool in uh, theory and probably in reality as well. So yeah, that was that was very interesting. A complete lowdown on all the all the talented youngsters coming through our ever 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 providing pipeline of uh, young talent. So those were those were our questions from the We and God Know History community itself. And for our last section, we will be looking forward to the game that's to come, as always, which is going to be against Sheffield United. And Sheffield United is a club that I like for a lot of reasons because in their current state, they have a brilliant culture around the club. They have a super manager who's worked his way up the ranks of English football and he is he's a very likable character in general as well. And just their, their spending policy has not been too overblown, although they, they did spend like 10 million on Lis Musse, but, you know, as you do. So Sheffield United is, you know, uh, they've been making headlines for their overlapping centre-backs and everything. And Obviously, that has been tempered a little um, as they've as they've been promoted to the Premier League. But I, I still I saw shades of it in their first two games, and they aren't completely. They haven't started completely sitting back. They're still playing the game, and maybe not as you know swashbuckling, and some may call it as naive as Norwich. But I think Sheffield United is still in to give us quite a challenge, and I think it'll be 
it'll be a different and slightly more difficult challenge than Norwich. That's my that's my opinion. Jimmy, what do you think of Sheffield United? <laughs> you you just had to ask me, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh. I have to. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't. I have to be completely honest. Um, when I did watch the Championship last season, and it, um, of course there was a lot of Derby County, the odd Wigan game, but I haven't really watched Sheffield United. Um, I've only really uh, heard about them or read about them what you told me, to be honest. And well, I I know that you have a liking of Championship clubs, so I'm, I'm <laughs> cautious uh, in regard to how good they really are. Um, <laughs> but uh, I know that Oli. Oliver, Oliver or Oli McBurney? McBurney. Yes, yeah, he's, yes. he's a good yeah. player. I know he he is he's decent for his age. Um, but we're playing at Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm quite confident that we will be able to, you know, play well, especially if Kante's back again. And I think that is crucial. Um, I know we won against Norwich, but as I, I mean, I don't really agree with what uh, with a lot what Joe said about Jorginho, but you know. That's 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 fine. We can't all agree on that, and I don't want to, you know, open that Pandora's box because that is a huge topic. But my point is, uh, with Kante in the side, we are just definitely a better player, uh, uh, player, better team, especially in defence because of the ground he covers. So um, I do hope that he can come back in to play Sheffield. If he is, then I I have no doubt that we will be able to beat them. Um, I don't. I don't actually think they're a better team than Norwich, but I don't know them. You know, the only from the highlights I've seen from their opening games. So it's Barcelona, basically. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but because um, we will be looking into what will the lineup be, and we'll, we'll be asking Joe, of course, uh, what his uh, predicted lineup is. Um, and I do think we will win, and I, I actually don't think that Lampard's going to change much. Give us, line. Give us a score line. Give us a score line. Give us a score line. Okay, three 0 Chelsea. Oh, okay, <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> Joe, uh, do, do you want to do you, do you want to name your lineup and then your score prediction as well? Yeah, I mean my my overriding I think memories of seeing a bit of Sheffield United last season and this season is they seem to be pretty good out wide. You know, a lot of their attacks seem to be sort of focused on the flanks, and I think particularly at least in the highlights I've seen they're quite right hand side dominant. So. I'm, I'm okay with them sort of playing into into Emerson and, and that sort of general area. I, th- I think they're also kind of like us. They're not fantastic at defending set pieces. Um, or at least they, they seem to be a little bit uh, chaotic in, in sort of the same sense as we are. So, I mean, it, it could be could be certainly an interesting interesting game, particularly if their uh, wide players sort of tuck in a bit more narrowly. Um, in terms of starting 11, I probably would go with... Um, with are, are we going with my 11 or, or what I think Lampard's going to pick? Um, let's let's say yours. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to make the assumption that Rudiger is fit. Mm-hmm. So I am going to go with a uh, 4-4-2 diamond and Kepper in goal. I'm going to have Aspi because I'm assuming Reece James is still injured. I'm going to go with Rudiger, Zuma, and Emerson at the back. Uh, the Danish prince himself, uh, Andreas Christensen, <laughs> in at holding midfield. Uh, left and right, sort of central midfielders, Jorginho and Kante. Mason Mount as a number 10, and then Batshuayi and Tammy Abraham up top. Didn't wow. expect that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't expect that. A bit outside the box, yeah. Yeah, fair play, fair play. I like that. Uh, I think that I think that I would probably go for a 4-3-3 again. With, I mean, 
I'm assuming that we'll have Kante back. Or I'm hoping so. So <laughs> I think we'd go for a 4-3-3 with my, my favorite midfield combination, which is Kante and Kovacic and then Mason Mount in his usual left-sided midfield role. And I think that Chelsea will they'll win, but it won't be easy. I think it'll be like the Norwich game in the sense that I think they might peg 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 a goal back um, in in some in some some sort of manner. Anyway, I think Ollie McBurney will get it because he's class, and I think that we <laughs> I think that we'll ultimately end up winning two one. I'll just err on the side of caution. So yeah, two two one to Chelsea. Uh, Abraham and Mount will score as per, and McBurney will score. I'm I'm happy all around. So that's yeah. that's my prediction. Huh. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe I should have revised. Maybe I should revise my prediction. Damn. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I'll just stick with the three nil. Um, one 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 thing I still do want to add is, I I I don't think that Rudiger is going to come into the starting lineup immediately. I w- I would be very surprised if Lampard immediately puts him back in, but. More like easing in, you know, give him. I mean, the, he's been training. He's been training for a while now, hasn't he? I know, I know, but you know, well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. If he thinks that will solve our defensive frailties, then you know, by all means. I mean, yeah, but... fair, fair enough. The last thing we need is another, you know, another episode of Kante being rushed back too soon, something like that with Rudiger. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I, I think it's also interesting, um, just at this final note, because Joe said that uh, Sheffield are quite strong on the wings, and I wouldn't play a diamond against it because I mean, diamond is very strong, but maybe I'm, I'm correct, you know, I'm wrong, correct me if I am. Yeah. That the diamond doesn't really work too well when the wingers or when their wings are is strong, so we could actually get completely bombarded there and have no width, which would severely, um, leave uh, Emerson and especially Cesar Piliqueta open to their attacks. So maybe the 4-3-3 does work the best, especially with Kante back in. But, you know, that that's, that's all things for uh, that are open for discussion. Yes, so that's more or less all we have time for today. Joe, thank you ever so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Yep. No problem, guys. Uh, anytime you need me on in the future, just give me a shout. It's been, uh, it's been fun we certainly will and this way of course we ain't got in the history does have the opportunity to hear the wisdom of joe tweedy uh, without you know yeah, without the need for articles and as as always i'm i, I always love listening to what you say i, I don't want to you know make any advertisement for other podcasts but on the other podcasts that we have interacted in are uh, already back then enjoyed that very much so please do give joe a follow on twitter can you tell them your handle yeah it's uh, it's at joe tweedy and uh yeah come and join the uh, the gang yes if you don't follow him yet then please do because he's an absolute must follow on chelsea twitter um Yes, that's all from us for this week. And we will be back after the Sheffield game. Hopefully. Sheffield United. Yeah, Sheffield United. <laughs> whatever. Um, mea culpa. But my point is, hopefully also in good spirits, the same as today. That's all from us. And keep the blue flag flying high. See ya.